my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 46, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 29, Leviticus 21, and Psalms 119, verse 89 to 176. Exodus 29. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from the finest wheat flour make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast, and with olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband, put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons." Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his son shall lay their head on its head. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns and the altar with your finger, and pour out the rest of it on the base of the altar. Then take all the fat on the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and both kidneys with the fat on them, and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its intestines outside the camp. It is a sin offering." Take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it, and take the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces, and wash the internal organs in the leg, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it, take some of its blood, and put it on the lobe of the right ear of Aaron and his sons, on the thumb of their right hands, and on the big toe of their right feet. Then splash blood against the side of the altar, and take some blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Take from this ram the fat tail, the fat on the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination, from the basket of bread made without yeast, which is before the Lord. Take one round loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in, and one thin loaf. Put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and have them wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then take them from their hands, and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A food offering presented to the Lord. After you take the breast of the ram for Aaron's ordination— Wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, and it will be your share. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons, the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. 
This is always to be the perpetual share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It is the contribution the Israelites are to make to the Lord from their fellowship offering. Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as a priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration. But no one else may eat them because they are sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. Do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you. Take seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day, two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and another at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ff of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hin of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There I also will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Leviticus 21 The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die, except for a close relative, such as his mother or father, his son or daughter, his brother, or an unmarried sister who is dependent on him since she has no husband. For her, he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage and so defile himself. Priests must not shave their heads or shave off the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. They must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of the Lord. Because they present the food offerings to the Lord, the food of their God, they are to be holy. They must not marry women defiled by prostitution or divorced from their husbands because priests are holy to their God. Regard them as holy because they offer up the food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I who make you holy. If a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she disgraces her father. She must be burned in the fire. The high priest, the one among his brother who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments, must not let his hair become unkept or tear his clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean even for his father or mother nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it, because he has been dedicated by the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. The woman he marries must be a virgin. He 
You must not marry a widow, a divorced woman, or a woman defiled by prostitution, but only a virgin from his own people, so that he will not defile his offspring among his people. I am the Lord who makes him holy. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, For the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man who is crippled foot or hand, or who is a hunchback or a dwarf, or who has an eye defect, or who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron the priest who has any defect is to come near to present the food offering to the Lord. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. He must eat the most holy food of his God as well as the holy food. Yet, because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes them holy. So Moses told this to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites. Psalms 119 verse 89. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your law endure to this day. For all things serve you. If your law has not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. I have done what is righteous and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Ensure your servants' well-being. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. 
give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, Lord. Your law is being broken. Because I love your commandments more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression, that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servants loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. I call with all my heart. Answer me, Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your law. Those who devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Look on my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statutes. I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous law. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decree. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your law sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. In this story in Exodus, we are learning about the ceremony of how Aaron and his sons become the priests for Israel, where the soon-to-be priests are being washed. Note, they are not washing themselves, 
but being washed by Moses. This story is echoed in Leviticus 8 and 9, where we learned, if you remember in the long version of that story, where Moses is the primary actor and Aaron and his sons are acted upon. It's a story about being chosen, not earning or deserving. In this story, Moses washes them, clothes them, makes sacrifices on their behalf, and sprinkles them with blood. For me, it's like a visualization of how God will send his son to wash me, cover us, me, through the greatest sacrifice on my behalf, and we are then redeemed by his blood. Dr. Imes in her free Exodus course on the Bible Project also points out how their location is at the threshold, the entrance to the tent of meetings. It's like a symbolic representation of this really cool transition um, that's going to come. If you recall in Genesis, you know, in, in chapter three, there's this alienation and dislocation because of human moral rebellion. But we want to be restored and redeemed to this close place and close relationship with the Lord. And so I just visually think it's so cool that this seven-day ordination process is taking place on this threshold. They are being set apart. And I like how Dr. Imes points out, this is not the time for creativity or innovation, although that's awesome. This isn't the time. But specifically, this is about being the recipient in the way God describes how something needs to go. So the emphasis is on following his guidelines. Dr. Imes emphasizes that becoming a priest, being cleansed, must first occur before helping others navigate their way to atonement by God and becoming a kingdom of priests. This being and becoming is a carefully designed seven-day process of what to make and do and how to do it. Dr. Imes encourages us not to lose sight of the why, though. The why of it all, this is also so, so cool. It's so that God can dwell with the people, to be close in proximity as he was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Dr. Imes reiterates that Yahweh does not want to stay on Mount Sinai, but come even closer and be with the people, with us. Other religions often have like pilgrimages to certain places to visit their gods, but here God is not ordering his people to make pilgrimages back and forth to Mount Sinai. He is making a way to be with us, super close. God is going to go with them in the tabernacle, wherever they go. It's also noteworthy to say that the first thing Aaron does after becoming a priest and priestly duties is to bless the community. So he's receiving this blessing that isn't earned or deserved to be a blessing to his community. And it's reflected in Numbers, which we haven't read yet, but it's pretty famous. So you might know it's 6, 24 to 26, where the verse is talking about Aaron essentially saying, the high priest saying, may the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And then Dr. Imes describes this as the point at which Israel becomes God's representatives. The point in which they are stepping or stepping more fully into their restored and redeemed roles and the purpose that God gave in their vocation. So like Dr. Imes, I think there's something to be said and reflected upon regarding the fact that while Israel and other places in the Bible describe a kingdom of priests, there is also in Genesis 2 and here and several other places in the Bible, various people and structures employed to lead the leaders, to train the trainers. And scriptures gives our vocation both enormous amounts of creativity and sociocultural, economic, political, organizational design and at the same time, Scripture gives very specific terms and guidelines for those who lead and how to do it and why. 
For example, in Genesis 2, do not eat from the tree of knowledge. Apparently, that one thing was just a little too much, right? I can relate. Later in Genesis, God says, build an ark with very specific instructions. And here they're making a tabernacle, a ta- sorry, a tabernacle ark. And in that story is a, more of a boat ark, right? And then in Abraham, his descendants specifically said, you know, become circumcised. And here in Exodus and Leviticus, we're being told very, very specifically how to build a tabernacle, make priestly garments, go through the priestly process and become a community that follows specific laws um, for internal restoration and redemption and also to put him on display for others. So many Christian traditions from Catholicism to Greek Orthodoxy and into various Protestant denominations, such as Lutherans, Wesleyans, Calvinists, Baptists, and so on, have both similar and different interpretations for how to understand and apply the when and how to be creative and when and how to apply specific guidelines. An important reminder for me is to encourage you and me to read the entire connected unified story of the Bible for ourselves firsthand and to pray and offer thoughtful interpretations into our communities, which are supported by a connected scripture and not scripture that's pulled out of context. For example, ultimately, I think a time-honored way to interpret the priesthood is that Jesus is, or in the context of this story, Jesus will become the high priest, making intercession for us. He is also the sacrifice itself. And unlike human priests, they must have human successors and have you know animals be their sacrifice. Jesus never dies and there is no successor. He is the high priest. So as a reminder, Leviticus starts at the end of the Exodus story where the people were enslaved by an outsider, but they've now sort of enslaved themselves towards the end of Exodus in this false worship. Yet God will still want to come and dwell with the people. Oh, he's such a good God. And Dr. Tim Mackey describes Leviticus in three parts. If we recall, the first part, chapters one through seven, was about sacrifices necessary to make atonement and offer forgiveness to cover the cost of alienation and dislocation from holiness. Dr. Mackey describes it as a moral debt for corruption where we hurt each other and do what we want instead of yielding to and putting our trust in God's wisdom, will, and his ways. The second part of Leviticus in chapters 8 to 17 include laws to guide morality and social justice, much of which tracks with our current moral norms, and some are purity rituals or symbolic laws meant to put God on display expressing their worldview of holiness, many of which are pointing to God as the source of life and people are to keep themselves from sources of death. For example, lots of talk of bodily fluids discussed. Chapter 16 was this linchpin moment, particularly important, where everything hinged on the Day of Atonement. This is also a wonderful foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do for us in the New Testament. Then there are more holiness and purity laws that we've been talking about now in chapters 18 to 27. So the last part of Leviticus. And if you obey them, um, you'll be blessed and be a blessing. But if you disobey these things, your alienation and dislocation are going to be the outcome. What makes Leviticus difficult to understand is the cultural distance from our world. It can seem gross and weird and unclear in our worldview. But as Dr. Tim Mackey encourages, Focus on what things like animal sacrifice and laws mean and carefully consider what they're for and what's the purpose. The Bible was written for us, not directly to us. Here, 
the law specifically being written to the Israelite people who had just been freed from Egypt, were surrounded by neighbors like the Canaanites who were practicing some really different stuff and had their own cultural context going on at the same time. Leviticus also needs to be understood in connection and relationship with the New Testament for all of Scripture, the entire connected story. For example, we read yesterday about how sexual sins necessitate stoning, and at the same time, not all of them, but some of them were, those who had read ahead into the New Testament remember when the group of Jewish leaders called Pharisees brought a woman accused of adultery before Jesus and pointed back to these laws when contrasting the what is said in the Old Testament with the New Testament, it's interesting to note that when Leviticus 20 talked about adultery in verse 10, both the man and the woman were to be put to death, but the Pharisees had only brought a woman. Also note that death by stoning was only discussed in Leviticus 20 as a specific type of end to a person who sacrificed children to Molech or was a medium or a spiritist. In John, that's in the New Testament, chapter 8, verse 3 through 21, Jesus responds to the Pharisees who brought this woman with, let him who is without sin cast the first stone at her. And I love that Jesus seems to subtly address the gender conflict in the room. He says he is accusing her and the man in the accusation that they allegedly caught in the act because it says they caught this woman in the act. They didn't bring him to the to the conflict, to the conversation. So being caught in the act, but not brought before Jesus or accused. So generally, Jesus is confronting humans in relation to other humans when accusations are brought. Jesus took the condemnation out of the confrontation. Jesus also told the woman that he did not condemn her either, but he still confronted the sin. That's really important. Telling her to leave her life of sin, which I love. It relates, I think, to the Psalms we were reading. It's to dwell on the law on God's goodness and holiness and what he wants and to to put all the things in place that we need to um, to keep ourselves, prevent ourselves from sin, but also know that we have to have a Messiah and Savior to atone for us. Also note the law we have been reading are very specific. Consider how many women, children, and animals would be protected by disallowing the sexual abuse of minors and the powerless in a patriarchal society. Justice and fairness are being breathed into this community in a very specific way in many of these laws. And Leviticus 21, which we just read today, is connected to Leviticus 8 through 10 on the process and expectations of being and becoming a high priest. There is this first speech on proper behavior about when and who to attend funerals for and how to dress, who they can be intimate with and marry. And Dr. Imes in the Torah Tuesday vlog describes how the high priest is held to a higher standard. Because unlike the New Testament, here in this story, the Israelites were dependent on the priests for facilitating their access to God. In the New Testament, Jesus is the high priest facilitating our access, making a way for us to be in relationship with, with the Lord. And God is the source of life. He is holy of holy. The highest priest in the second speech cannot have a defect, which Dr. Imes points to something hard to understand because what the speech is not saying is that people with defects are not lovable or worthy of dignity and love. That's not what it's saying. It was about symbolic embodiment of holiness, like a glimpse of a high priest, Jesus, who is holiness itself in human form. Similarly, the principle of bringing your best and perfect animal, the sacrifice of Jesus, and and will be something of insurmountable cost, value, and holiness 
on our behalf. So Dr. Imes describes this as the invitation to participate in God's holiness as representatives. There's so many foreshadowings, I think, to Jesus and also a remembrance of what we've lost and the cost of restoration and redemption. It's gonna be great. And the story is just getting more and more interesting. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.